Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, you know how we do question and answer episodes every now and again? Yes, I was aware of that. Awesome. So I was talking to somebody and I said, do you have any questions for us on the Property and Investing podcast? And you know what question he asked? Where should I buy? Where's the next hotspot? No, but that was his second question. His first one was like, dude, where can I go to sign up for the newsletter? And I said, I got it for you. Head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. And I said to him, I said, put in your name and email and Charlie will notify you every single time we release an episode. And he said, that is awesome. Never heard that before. Thank you very much. Now I know where to get the newsletter. Let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you to seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant, you've kind of broken the silence already on what today's podcast topic will be. We're doing questions and answers, a bit of Q&A. So for those that don't know, you can absolutely send us, a, uh, send us in your questions, and I actually love reading them. So there's three ways to send them in. Number one, if you're on the email list, which hopefully with those brilliant intros, you are already. So you can just reply to any of the emails and let me know your question. That's actually where majority of the questions have come from today, I might add. Second, if you're in the Facebook group and you've got a question, please feel free to uh, post up in the group or send something in there so we can get it. And then thirdly, it's charlie at propertyandinvesting.com. Is it .au or no? No, .au. just .com. Just you can see who is the tech uh, <laughs> wizard and non-wizard of us here. Am I, wait, am I the tech muggle? You are. You are the muggle. <sighs> I just don't say it to you because I thought you might be offended, but you are the tech muggle. Now, Curiously, do people ask you where they should buy, like where the hotspots are? All the time. And they get the question of like, where was the last one that you bought? Like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, it's in like WA. No, no, where? <laughs> and I've had some, I had a guy talking to me, trying to like reverse engineer all of the points that we were saying. It's like, is either going to be like one of these four suburbs? <laughs> I'm impressed if someone will go to that level. So let, let's address this straight out on the podcast here because maybe this is question one. I'm just going to go with it here. Number one, why don't we share the locations of our property? Um, I'm gonna, I'll kick this one off that I'll hand to you. Uh, the reason for that is we use a buyer's agent. So we use Dashdot or have in the past used Dashdot and have been very happy with the service. If when we purchase a property, we release that location, we're actually releasing their private IP. So, for example, if we say we're buying a location, that might indicate to other people that that's a good location to buy and other people may start looking there where that's information they've formed from their data. So we don't want to give away their stuff just in case they are buying more in that location and they've done the research to have that right of way. Um, we may, uh, retrospectively, like down the road, release some closer locations. I'm actually okay, okay. with that, Grant. Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm completely fine with it. Yeah, but I do think it, you want to be respectful of your buyer's agent. You don't want to be creating challenges for them or potentially driving demand to an area where they're trying to buy a property. Totally. And even to that point, like the properties that I buy are specific to my portfolio, like the properties that you bought are specific to your portfolio and your strategy. Like it's, I, it's like my properties are probably going to be horrific, especially now with me doing what I'm doing for someone else. Like it's just, it only applies based on my situation. But even to that, to that point, 
like when I bought it, it was a point in time. And I'm like, old information is never going to apply into the future. So even if I bought it a month ago, right, like it's probably outdated. The data probably doesn't support it anymore. It was good at that time. But then if I say it and you're like, oh, I'm going to get in, I'm like, okay, there's no guarantee that it's going to be good. That's such two excellent points on that one right there about right property for you. I mean, for the surgeon who's trying to get tax breaks, he needs something very different than, the, uh, than someone else who needs their retirement years and income, for example. Totally. So I think that's such a good point. And that moment in time, like when you buy something is huge. You know, buying in Melbourne CBD 50 years ago, probably a good idea. Yep. <laughs> Doing it today, hard, hard to say. And the, hard other, to say. the other one is like the location within a suburb as well. Like there are streets to avoid. There are streets that you have to be in. Like there's school zones that you have to be in and have to avoid. And I'm just like, I, I got no way to articulate all those points to someone else. So they, there's too many variables. Like there's just so many variables to go by. So I want to throw something else out into this conversation. Have you seen what buyers, agents and property researchers go through to pick a location? Have you ever like had a little delve into what goes into picking a place to buy a property for an investment I, purpose? From a macro, yes. From a micro, no. So like the the rough suburbs of going, these are the influence on a suburb on how they generate income and most of the jobs that sit within the suburb and this over another suburb and vacancy rates and all those things, yes. As to like the flood maps, kind of the streets, no. Like where they get to that level, no, I just have not. All right, well, here's a little Charlie story for you. When, when I first got into property investing, so just keep in mind, when I first got into this, I had a very poor mindset. I basically was deeply concerned on buying a lemon or getting scammed. All right, so I wouldn't have That's been fair. a good client in general. <laughs> Let's, let, me, let me put it this way. That's fair. So when you engage a buyer's agent, you're engaging them with the trust of picking a location that is right for you and your circumstance in, in this thing here. And I was like, well, I'm going to learn some of this. I'm not going to like blatantly trust their recommendation. I want to know like if they're picking a location, like well, why does infrastructure matter and like hospitals? Like I want, I want to deeply understand this. So I started like learning some of the points, right? So it's like, uh, and I'll reference the ones that I learned. I'm not going to say that these are universally true for everything because they're definitely not. Um, was like population growth. Yep. Was a huge one. Um, supply and demand. So like landlocked areas versus like massive greenfields and places where they can just add more property, um, infrastructure and hospitals and jobs, and then vacancy rate. Yep. And I'm like, sweet, if I know these metrics here, I'll be good. And uh, I actually <laughs> spent some time uh, with my buyer's agent and then he relayed what he uses. And, I was, and I'm, I'm watching this and I'm looking at it and I'm like, there is no chance I'm ever picking a location. <laughs> totally. I, I, uh, on the more recent one that I bought, there was a suburb that was a bit closer to the beach. I'm like, looking at the houses on realestate.com. Like, ah, there's like a hundred grand more. I'm like, why aren't we? It's like dust. And I said, why aren't we looking there? And like, ah, oh, there's a reason. Let me just have a look at the data and get back to you. And they just riddled like these 15 reasons <laughs> as to why like not buying there is like a good idea not to touch that spot. And I'm like, yep, cool. I trust you. <laughs> like, just let's, let's go with the one you've selected. I've said properties to my buyers agent going, and we just, not, I look at this and go, what an asshole comment, right? Tell me why we shouldn't buy this. Looks, yeah, looks, I know. It's great. Like, <laughs> but it's so justified in people's heads, right? Because when we used to get started, it's like, oh, I'm now starting to see some of these patterns. Like, I'm starting, oh, you do this, close to here, this. 
And then so for us as humans, we're like, oh, yeah, cool. No, I can pick these patterns. So prove to me why I shouldn't get this one. And they're just like, oh, another one. I think this just highlights something where, especially because I had bought my own home previously and that had gone well. So I had bought a PPR prior to doing property investing and had a really good result. It gives you an exuberance of confidence that you can do something that wasn't just luck. I can do it now. Yeah, Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. And I just very much view picking locations to buy property is in the equivalence of like car mechanics and dentists, Yeah, right? It's like, I'm not going to service or fix my own car because I don't have the skills or knowledge to do that. I want to pay a professional where all day, every day, this is what they do. So they're taking all that experience and results they've gotten for other people and deploying it into my situation. Totally. And same with dentistry. Like, I think this is a really good thing. And I kind of like dentistry as the example, right? Because I'm, I'm like happy to give it a little brush, right? I'm happy to do the books and a little bit of property management. But by no means am I extracting wisdom teeth. I'm an overachiever. I floss twice a day. Like, <laughs> it's a, make sure I got good borrowing power. Well, I, at this point, I hope people are noticing my impeccable teeth. I was going to say, you're smiling a lot today. This is great. No braces either, right? I've been very fortunate. Hey, so uh, very, very lucky on that front. Anyway, should we get into some questions? Uh, we're on question number two now. I like that we're making this a question, but I think it is very important for people when uh, – just to reiterate that before we jump to the next one. Yeah. A hotspot doesn't make it a hotspot for you. Your circumstance is huge. Copying people's locations based on like, I get it, right? You're looking for some certainty. So if you perceive that Grant and I have had some success in property investing, if copying what we do could emulate a result for you, I could understand why you would think that, but it isn't necessarily the best idea overall. So I think that's a really, really interesting one. Um, let's jump into it though, because I think we do have some really fun questions to go over today. So Grant, I love this question. I think it's great. I'm going to kick g- it actually, off. I know you got killer point. I'm going to ask this question so that you can riddle off your answer first. Because I, I, I want it to be a smart ass. Okay, All right, okay. you can ask. No, 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 you go. It's fine. So this question came in, I, I think we got it from a group originally from the Facebook group. But yep. the question is, how are you handling rate rises? Charlie, how are you handling rate rises? Because you've got a really interesting response. I actually do for this. put a lot of prep into this question. No, I know. That's what I'm like. like, I don't want to take anything away from it. All right. So to give this some context, I have not enjoyed the first Tuesday of the month in quite a while. Except for January. Actually, January was lovely. (laughs) It's a great day. Really, really lovely. On the beach. Yeah, because when you do have a larger portfolio and a larger amount of debt, these 0.25 or 0.5 rate changes make a significant difference to cash flow. And as much as I am buffered up and I'm still well and truly in positive cash flow, I still don't enjoy having to measure it every month of seeing it go down compared where it would have been or was previously, I should say, from there. Now, I really believe that the one of the best things about property investing is it's a semi-active sport. Yep. So, for example, it's like if I have, uh, and this is only example and advice, but it's like if you buy shares, like how much can you really influence the company you have shares in? Like maybe a Coke, but well, you know what? If you did, I buy a lot of Apple products. If I had shares in Apple, you know, maybe I could influence that one a little bit, <laughs> keep them going, repping the brand. Good luck. What do you mean? I'm an aspirational figure. I'll just flex my Apple Watch here and say, you know, maybe everyone should go out there and buy one of these and help me out. Actually, I don't have any Apple stock. That wouldn't do anything. I'm like, it's not going to help you at all. Besides make you feel good. Anyway, so I I got to this point 
In, this was in December where it's like we'd taken enough rate rises by this point. I'm like, there's got to be something we can do about this. There really has to be something to do about this. And I think for a lot of people, when they think of that, they're almost leaning to the idea of the default answer. It's like, yeah, get onto the phone of your bank and uh, you know negotiate a better rate, which does work, by the I've way. I've heard that we, on a lot of podcasts. Like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to give the obvious answer here. I'm not. Because I think that if that type of thing just gets repeated and it's and it's obvious. And I feel like a lot of investors out there would have already done that. Totally. Now, I started to think about this a little bit more deeply and there was a, a lever to pull, which I don't think a lot of people have considered. And I'll give you the example here is that when you're tackling the finance strategy of your property investment portfolio, so this is how your borrowing is done, right? You've got the ability to actually influence both cash flow and profitability. Right, so these are two different things. So, if you're someone who's trying to influence, let's say, cash flow, as an example, right, you might refinance all your properties onto new thirty-year loans, yep. and in doing that, you would bring down the payment per month because it's a new, longer thirty-year loan, and then in turn, improving the cash flow on a property. Am I explaining that well enough? Pull me up if I'm you not. Definitely are. Yep. Okay. Now, on the other side of things, let's just talk about like um, a profitability move though, is where you would actually change something where you might not get the biggest cash flow increase, but you're actually going to make more profit per month, which I think is a really big difference. Really, really big difference. So one of the things I spoke to uh, my broker about and uh, was really interesting conversation, he's like, well, if you were to change some of your the way your properties are financed from uh, what is interest only terms to principal and interest, you can actually bring down some of the rates on your loan substantially. And I did the maths on this, and this was a huge one from my point of view. So noting this is not good for cash flow. I'm actually going to lose cash flow by changing loans from interest only to principal and interest. But because I'm getting a lesser rate, the profitability of my property portfolio is going to go up substantially. So at the time, I had roughly half of my properties on interest only. And then what we actually looked to do is move them all to principal and, int- principal and interest. Now, do you want to know the difference in some of these? I'm, I'm excited. I, I loosely know, but I, I'm excited for everyone to hear exactly what the difference is. Yeah, so the difference in doing so and doing it across the portfolio was close to 1%, 0.9 in some cases. What? So... You'd refinance, essentially, I'm going to try and simplify this. So essentially, quite a few were on interest only. And then just by changing them from interest only to P&I, assuming that same bank, same everything, it's just like a phone call, hey, just change this from interest only to P&I now, it was a reduction in some circumstances of like a 1%. Absolutely. And my mortgage broker did work some magic on this as well. Because some were easy, they just swap them over, like no worries. And others, you might have to do a bit of a refi setup and it is a bit more of a process. If did it you is change right. any banks? No, it didn't change a single yeah, one. Although I think I threatened that repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> the default threat. Got it. Well, we'd oh. be a very valued customer. So let, let's do some maths on this. Let's expand this out, right? If you've got a million dollars in debt, right, and you're paying, let's just use uh, really round numbers here, you're paying a 6%, which is roughly what's out there at the moment yeah, in the market, time. right? That's uh, when you look at it, it's going to be like 60 grand a year. Correct. If you're able to get that down to um, five, that's 50 grand a year. That's 10 grand a year. That's $200 a week. Different. Difference, which is substantial. Imagine your rent going up $200 a week. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. And then to your point, the reason that there is a difference in 
cash flow is that you're now using cash flow to pay down the debt because that is how P&I is structured. So you pay the interest and the debt component, which is why from a cash flow perspective, it's very different from a profit perspective. Noting everything you put into prints, uh, everything you put into paying down principal is essentially going in your back pocket because it's yours. Yeah, so you lose the liquidity. You just right, lose it's the, just completely. the liquidity loss. You're not losing the money. It's just you're paying down the loan instead of it accumulating potentially in an offset account for someone. Yeah. All right. So I, I looked at this strategy from here, and I don't have a million dollars in debt. I got close to four million dollars in debt. Yep. So when we're talking the difference in a percent, like this is massive for me. So I then looked through all of these things, and this is something someone would want to take into consideration. This is not a good strategy if you need the cash flow. If you don't have strong buffers on your properties and good emergency funds and things like that, like if you're low on liquidity, this could be a, a terrible idea for you. This could be a terrible idea in general. Like you would want to speak to a mortgage broker and get some really good advice around this if it's something you would look to approach. But in the case of myself, I'm looking at this individually and just going, how much easier would it be to fight rate rises if I suddenly had properties uh, with the rent going up $200 a week? Yeah. Like how, when I look at my uh, P&L and my balance sheet, is this going to move me into a position where it's like going to make a substantial difference? And I'm like, this will. This basically takes off like the last three rate rises for me. So I did it. And it seems like you're happy with what you have done. Well, I think this is just one of the unique ways you can start to get a little bit more strategic with like being active in this. Now, I also think what people often forget when they look at this is like, Charlie, you, you know, you're locking up your cash. I'm like, yeah, but you can always refinance equity out Definitely. or use equity in a property to do something else if that becomes a point. Like it isn't hard locked to the point where you could never access it, you know, pending borrowing and other things where if you've got good liquidity, you can actually manage that in a really, really good way. Yeah, so, it's, it- it changes it from pushing buttons on a phone to transfer cash between one account to another account to actually get on the phone and talking to the bank or getting talking to your broker to go, okay, well, we need to extract some cash through a refinance, which does then create paperwork and do a whole heap of other things. So it is a little bit more of work. But to your point, it's like it's just not as liquid, but it's still to an extent some kind of liquidity. It's not like you're trying to sell the house, which would take a long time. Uh, you still just needed to go through a process to do it. You would want to be confident in your borrowing power as well, right? I'm confident because I know I can access more lending still. If my lending was really close, that again might be something you would throw into consideration here. But I just wanted to put it out there. It's a unique way to kind of tackle um, rate rises, right? Just a bit of a different way of thinking about it rather than just arguing with your banks and trying to stack cash in offset accounts, which is the obvious answer. Please decrease it. I think it's, it's really interesting around people who like... There are some property investors that are trying to like get out of work. Like they're just like, I just want to hit, what is it? Financial independence, retire early, fire. I want to hear that now. And so like to that point, most of them are looking at going for the forever refinance of just going interest only, interest only, interest only, continuing because the cash flow is what pays the way, right? But that's not a bad strategy, right? It's like if if rents continue to go up, which – uh, noting I don't think rents will continue at the rate they're going, but let's pretend rates go up gradually over the next 30 years, which mm-hmm. I think is a reasonable outcome. If you never, ever paid down the debt and just kept it on interest only, like eventually it would work its way through. It's just a different strategy. Uh, completely. And so to that point of like, if you're enjoying what you do day in, day out as your work or your source of income that is not as dependent upon the properties spitting out spare cash flow, 
then this strategy could be something to go and look at where you go, I enjoy my job. I enjoy what I do. This is fine. No worries at all. I'm going to continue earning. This is a way for me to go and sort of have my cake and eat it too, to fight the rate rises, as you were saying, because there is that additional lever that I just want. Usually people don't talk about P&I, <laughs> investment, pro- uh, property investment po- uh, podcast, Charlie. It's not like um, me to go against the grain at all, Grant. No, I've never heard you do that. Uh, yeah, so this is just like another lever to go, oh, I've just never thought of it from that. Does it apply? Talk to the, the, to the professionals to actually go, okay, this makes sense. I'll throw out one more thing. Um, I, I'm noticing in my journey that doing a refinance every few years is almost becoming common. Every few? How often do you do a refinance? I've refinanced a lot. Like there's been like loan, uh, I'll put it this way. I've done uh, loans to get a property and acquire it. Then I've done another loan just after it's settled because like we literally just needed finance to secure it and then we moved it onto a better mortgage. And then I did a massive like portfolio refinance where we restructured everything. So in some properties, I've had like three. It's like it's not been that long. I just want to f- throw this final piece in because this is one where if you want to turn this into a cash flow play, and I'm considering this for me, but just some of the thinking that's going into this, noting this is not financial advice or a recommendation. I'm just trying to open up the peripheral so people can have better conversations with their broker. I'm legitimately thinking of like leave it on uh, principal and interest for like five years, let it pay down some of the debt, and then I will refinance the whole property portfolio again on a lower amount of debt so I'm not going to extract any equity out in this strategy, but just refinance it to a new 30-year loan, maybe some interest only, and with rents of going up, well, now I've just expanded the cash flow again on that property. Totally. And then it's just, so, and then, yeah, and then the mortgage will just go into essentially your retirement being that you'd be beyond 60. Um, and it's like, cool, no worries at all. It will get paid down by that time, and then you'll have assets that in theory shouldn't have any debt on them. Maybe we'll see. I'm not. I'm still not clear or not if I'm okay with debt into my retirement years. Or I'll visit that when I get closer to it. Again, personal preference. Well, it's a lot different to like how I'm approaching rate rises because all I care about right now is like borrowing capacity. <laughs> so, well, you're you're in this accumulation stage. Are you even that, are you even paying attention to rate rises in that way, or is it just like get it done, get me the finance, let's get the next property? There have been rate rises. I love you. <laughs> No, I don't. Have you taken any dirty loans yet to accumulate? It's like, let's just say it's good that the conversations with the mortgage broker aren't recorded. Just saying. <laughs> but no, but to, to that point, like I stopped and reevaluated for like six months, probably seven months before I went again. And the way that I just handled it was slowing down, cashing offsets to go, well, if all this thing goes belly up, that's okay as long as I can weather the storm with the cash sitting there. And this comes back to like one of our principles that we've spoken about before around making sure that we've got cash in emergency funds so that a wipeout event just never happens because this is a forever game. This is not a flash in a pan. How do we make a whole heap of cash and sell out and celebrate? This is a long game. It's making it sustainable. Completely. So for my strategy, it's decent deposits. Like I put 20% down. It's emergency cash in an emergency fund. It is cashing offsets and just doing a res- taking a responsible long-term play as opposed to trying to be fortuitous and grab whatever I possibly can. Albeit now I'm doing an accumulator, which means I've just become a full degenerate and just gone, give me all the money you can. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I can see it now. You're going to start hanging around Crown Casino looking for loan sharks. It's like, man, can you, can you just get me a deposit together? I might be across the, the road, Charlie. It's a bit tough. Like, <laughs> 
But I'll throw this in. This is a bit of a, uh, a different question I would ask here, but I think it's an important one. Being we've had the experience of the last 12 months, right, where like things with lending and rates and inflation and all this stuff has changed. There's been uncertainty, right? There's not necessarily been a market crash or anything that we're, you know, deeply concerned for at this point. But how good was it not playing too close to the risk line prior to it? Like you could have loaded up and like gone 90% LVRs or more. You could have like negatively geared at hard prior. And many people do overextend and get excited by property. And then these types of years happen where it's like you can get into a tricky position. Totally. And I think, yeah, it's the second, third order consequences on people doing those decisions, right? If just going, well, I just lever up to go and get as much cash as I can to go and buy as many properties. Dude, my borrowing capacity burns through now and I don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great to get one or two properties, but I'm like, beyond that, like you're going to sit there, wait for these things to grow and compound in order for you to go swipe it like your third one. Uh, dig so. it. Can I jump into another question here? Although it's not the one in order on our sheet because we're starting to edge in on uh, one that we're going to do later in the episode. Right, but I it. feel like it fits in so in tune with this one. So let's I'm going to jump it. into our next question now because I think it's a really good carryover. Uh, one of our uh, listeners, which thank you so much for being on the email list, saying you enjoyed the show and sending in a question. Like what a trifecta. Amazing. I love this. Literally, he's never listened to it. Yeah, so the question that has come in on this, and I'm going to bring it up and read it specifically and probably add some points to it as well because I think there's some really cool things that were in this one. All right, so this is from uh, Nathan. So shout out to Nathan, number one. Thank you for bringing something in. Nathan has asked a question around um, using equity in a property. Now, we'll tee this one up. My question for you both. What would need to change in order for you to justify pulling equity to use it for a deposit during the accumulation phase? All right, that's his question. Now, I need to give this one some context. In a previous episode, uh, Grant and I referenced the idea of we're using what I'll call new capital. So money we earn from business or from employment to uh, fund the deposits. We are not huge advocates or haven't done where we're just like pulling equity out of one property to buy the next and stacking it in that way. Now, the reason I want to bring this one up is because you've kind of like teetered on the idea before about, you know, raising 90% LVRs and things that would go into it. So, Grant, I'm going to drop you into the conversation and start it from here. First up, what are your views of just thinking about the use of equity in general? Yeah, I I can intellectualize with it and I can understand why people do it. I just don't think people understand generally. And it's usually not spoken about the second and third order consequences of it, which is kind of what I was alluding to just before. Well, you uh, see why you I did that then? No, totally. I, I, I got it. When you were asking the question, I'm like, I, I get it. Because when you go and extract equity out of your existing portfolio, obviously the expenses for the property that you extracted out from will increase, right? Assuming that the interest rate's the same now, you've just taken out $100,000, it's just going to cost you the same. It's going to cost you more, sorry, for the interest rate on that property, which means that whatever cash flow you were producing from that property will decrease, right? So if you were making money, you might have be making less money. You might be making neutral. You might be making negative. Just depends on the property. But Can we use an example you, just to make this point? Totally. Let, let's say totally. someone buys a property for five hundred thousand, and then it goes up to a, a million. Uh, dollars in value. So there's 500 yep. grand of, of equity sitting into it there. Great growth. So the, yeah. All right. So then someone comes through and then they go, or maybe like, and let's pretend they borrowed the full 500,000. 
Yep. Right. So now there's uh, there they've got some equity and they go, do you know what? I'm going to pull out the 300 grand to go buy another property. Well, now the total debt on that property is 800,000. It's not 500,000. Yep. So they've increased the amount of debt that comes with it, which also massively impacts the cash flow of that property. So the rent was previously supporting $500,000 worth of debt. Now it's supporting $800,000 worth of debt, which is substantial, which would mean that potentially you're dragging this one out of being positively geared into neutral or negative, or maybe it's negative and now it's further negative. Totally. And in your example, like an extra $300,000 at a 5% interest rate, just because it helps me with my basic maths, it's an extra $15,000 a year. Call it just over a thousand bucks a month. So that's about three hundred dollars a week. Yep. And so if you look at that and you go, okay, well, I'm now going to increase this property's expenses by above three hundred bucks a week. Well, have your rents increased by more than three hundred dollars a week in that example that you've done? Because if not, that and then you sort of lose that money. Your bank will go and look, or the banks will look at you as your. You now have more expenses, which means now your borrowing capacity reduces, and they say, okay, well. Now you just can't get as much, which then impacts you. Most property investors use debt, Charlie. Now it impacts you potentially on going, I'm going to get more, I'm going to get more, I'm going to get more because you've used it to go and buy the next place. And then the only lever you really have to push is wait for the properties to all grow again, which properties are volatile, et cetera, or go and try and earn more money outside of your property investment portfolio in order to sort of offset that. Do you know how I think about it? And you know I'm a big fan of like the Fast and Furious franchise. You know this. Yep. Um, it's like the NOS button in the car, right? It's the like- tank, The tank runs out. Well, I'll put it this way. is like you might have a car that works perfectly well, but you've got this NOS button here. And when you press it, you're going to go faster, but you're also going to put strain on the car. Totally. And it's like if you actually use that thing too much, you're going to do damage to the car. You're going to compromise the integrity of it. And that's, from my point of view, when I bring this back to property, it's the difference in it being long-term sustainable. Yep. Because if you are the type of person that's really tapping that NOS, right, you're going to just tap out your borrowing capacity and you're potentially going to end up in a point where you're stuck. I actually think that the use of equity is why so many property investors get stuck. I think because I they're so reliant on that and then become limited in the borrowing power because their income isn't able to kind of support it in the same way. And I know I'm going to get pushback on this from uh, other topics, other people who, you know, require it, but we'll come back to the there. Equity isn't free money. Equity isn't money you've got that you get to pull out and use. And it's like, well, there's no payment that comes on this. Like it is creating more debt when you use it, even though it is coming from the growth of a property. I don't think people understand that because it's very rarely spoken about. And it's one of those things that should be spoken about more because hence why these questions come through around like, well, what would have to, because it was like, what would have to change to justify pulling equity? <laughs> like, Well, so now we're looking for like this perfect storm to go, okay, well, when can I actually go and utilize equity or like, what can I try and find? And Great so question. it's fantastic. question. And so for myself, I go, there are a couple of principles that I look for in my property portfolio. And one of them, which should be pretty evident through here, is my borrowing capacity. If an amazing property gets thrown across my desk, I'm like, I want to be able to buy it. I just need to be able to seize opportunities. And the wipeout event for me is not having borrowing capacity because it means I just can't seize the events. So every time I look at buying something, I'm like, can I still pull the trigger on the next one, on the next one, on the next one? Because I know I just get, I just get pulled up on stumps if I can't. 
The second one is we've spoken about it, like the sleep at night factor, which is why I put 20% deposits on my property, which is why I've got emergency funds, et cetera. And so if I'm extracting equity out from my portfolio and it is putting strain on the cash flow of the portfolio, which in turn decreases the borrowing capacity, but also impacts my sleep at night factor, I ain't doing it. Right. So that's actually a key component on it. Um, but then also from the other side is I want my portfolio to be self-sustaining, right? Like I've got too much stuff going on in the other side of my business or other side of my life as well. Like I have a family someday that I want to, don't want to impact at all. So I'm like, how do I make sure that whatever I do in the property investment uh, portfolio doesn't impact that? And so to go hugely into negative from a cash flow perspective, because I'm trying to extract out equities to buy, just to buy, just to buy, it just does not play nicely, even outside of sleep and night factor, from a cash position across the rest of my life. I'm like, I just don't want to touch it. So then I'm like, at what point would I change it, Charlie? It's a great question. The point that I would change it is imagine that the property portfolio is spitting out a good amount of cash. I don't know, throw an arbitrary figure out there. Imagine it's spitting out my goal for uh, my property portfolio was $120,000 a year. So imagine it's pushing out my $120,000 and the debts, the, so the loan to value ratio, LVR, was below 50%. At that point, I look at it going, where am I earning other income from? e.g. from a job or from a business and imagine that's dried up and I want to buy more property. At that point, I might look at going, maybe extracting out a deposit from my investment portfolio could be a good idea. Noting that I'm like, I'm going to reduce the cash flow that my portfolio is spitting out to increase the debt that sits on my portfolio, but I understand the mechanics and how much it actually impacts across everything. And only at that type of point do i sit there and i say that seems to be logical in the way i run my poor property portfolio can we use the example here again i want to bring this back because i think let's it's a bit it. angry let's go back to our original property the one we bought uh the for 500, 500 grand that's now worth a million all right so in the idea let's pretend that property when we bought it for 500 grand had 500 dollars a week of rent and yep. now that the value's gone up to a uh, million it's now got a thousand dollars a week in rent so the yep. rent has gone up to justify that at that point there, with that rent, you would be comfortable, let's say, pulling out 300 grand equity because that property could then have the rental income to support that high level of debt. Totally. It would have to sit between – it would probably be – I'd probably be comfortable with 200, so bouncing between that 50% and 70% LVR. Like I wouldn't want to push it back up to like where I purchased it at an eight. Yeah, do, do you know, and people don't have to agree with this, right? You may be more comfortable with uh, going negative or uh, doing things in there, but these are just rules that Grant and I have developed for ourselves. And our rules are slightly different, I will say. We're not uh, 100% copycats of each other. I would love it if we were, though. But <laughs> One day, one day. You we'll get there. We'll get there. We can work on it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point being on this is that for myself, these were rules I put in place for me to protect me from me. Right, so because I didn't trust myself. <laughs> yes, I don't. Yeah, like I am a sucker for a good story. Like I absolutely am. Like I have see, Like I have. You know, how can I put this? Is like I hear a property story. Like oh, you know, there's a rumor they're about to put the train line out to here. <laughs> and, Buy and I watch all my the properties. I, I can feel my greed gland go off. It's like tingling. And it's like, I want to buy this thing. So it's like, I go, all right, I've got to put some like hard measures in place to um, protect me from me. But uh, just to continue on from this point, because I feel like this is a really important one. Long term, I actually plan on using some equity 
but I want there to be a substantial amount of equity to make like a serious play. And I think that comes from time. It really does. So for me right now, I'm looking at it and going, well, I'm going to give this some time and then potentially it's going to be a move into commercial, right? Where the amount of equity I'll have is I'll be able to put together a substantial deposit. The property I've got is, you know, supporting itself even with the new level of debt. And like at that point, it makes sense to me to start thinking of those moves. Doing it just to accumulate, and I realize some people only have that option, right? They don't have the ability with their current income level to fund deposits out of new money. That's the way they're approaching things because that's all they've got. I would also love to plant the idea out there that if that's the position you're in, maybe that's a sign you should focus on actually growing your earned income, whether it's a career change or improvements you can make to your business, like like we've done. Like I think um, what is often forgotten or not spoken about here is that at a point in time, I didn't have the income I had today. It was a choice I made to grow that income so I didn't have to use equity like this. Yeah. I could be more conservative and leave the deposits I can. And I can assure you if I can do it, anyone else can do it. I am by no means uh, special or gifted. High, high school dropout represent. Plumber. Woo. Yeah. yeah, but I think that people often underestimate what they can earn and do with their earnings, right? It's very possible for everyone to grow their income. But we're, And we're wide like this. Right, I would love nothing more than to accumulate all the houses <laughs> that I possibly can within a one-month period. Just because I'm like, I want, I can't wait to get to the end of this. Like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to feel so different. Like, oh my gosh, everything's going to change. And I and I know it's not. Like deep down, I'm like, this is just not how the world works. Grant, you just need to be patient, and you just need to continue on. And dude, I, <laughs> I, I sent you messages yesterday on Sunday. About I'm like this is the goal. This is where I'm going for. This is how many years it's going to take me. And like my, to use your expression, my greed gland is just like, how do you half it? <laughs> and I'm like, the only thing that is helping me is putting these like boundaries and rules in place to go. No man, just like relax, let it happen. Just keep barreling forwards to that thing. Just don't try and have it tomorrow. Do you think it's a patience thing in general when people start to get very attracted to things like using equity or LMI or a lot of these things? Like, And again, I'm not going to universally say they apply to everyone, but these are strategies that do allow you to go faster with more risk or cost. Too. Yeah, but I think I think the, the problem, like my first investment property is almost doubled, right? And, like, and so this thing just goes, see what's possible, Grant. Like just get all in. And so the problem is with, especially my experience, like I bought one and it went so well that I'm like, now get all the properties. And the challenge is that intuitively or unintuitively, I should say, my brain would just want to get that outcome as quick as possible. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to just accelerate that result as opposed to just going time is an asset for us. We just need to let the thing do the thing. And note that we're just not all going to escape the matrix tomorrow. Like it's just going to take uh, for some people five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Um, but yeah, we hear everybody else talking about their like retiring and buying properties and going again and stuff. And it, it sounds great, but no, it's just like, you just got to let it, let it ride. Yeah. And without compromising sleep at night factor in my view. Oh, totally. It's like, imagine, yeah, I wouldn't imagine looking at your wife. And for you, Jack, it just like I wiped us out. Far out. I just couldn't imagine anything worse. I, I must say that the thing I'm hearing a little bit more of in this market is like people moving back in with their parents. Now rates have gone up 
can't support a property portfolio and they need that rental income from their home to try and make things work. Yeah. And so I am hearing a few of those stories now where it's like people have been overextended or ran too high in LVRs or debt or didn't have the cash flow to support it. And now there are things coming out where it's made significant impact to their lifestyle. That's the yeah. stuff I just flat out not not willing to tolerate. Not going to go that far. Yeah. It's not worth it. And they did it. But you know they did it with their best intentions, right? Like no one sat there and said, oh, man, I can't wait to go move back with mum and dad with my kids and stuff. Like no, they did the thing with the intention. It was just they didn't think about the second, third order consequences on it. Completely. I'm, I'm hovering over this one here for, to Nathan's question just to make sure we have answered it well. I think we have um, answered it reasonably well, I will say as well as extending some opinions on equity that I'm sure we're going to get some pushback on Grant. And I'll say, you do you. If you're more comfortable using equity, go for it. But I'm making this a sustainable game for me. And I think that I think that's the theme that we always talk about is like make sure it's sustainable for you. Completely. I'm curious, Charlie. Do you want to do some of the other questions in the next episode? Yeah, let's do it on the next episode. Yeah, all right. If you're listening to this and you go, holy smokes, you guys don't just gloss over a question and answer it with one sentence. You guys actually dissect it and apply what you have done and do and think through. Do you know what? I wonder if there's some people out there going, do you know what? That 10-minute answer could have been a minute, guys. Hurry up. <laughs> but I think I think it adds value us like dissecting how we got to it and where we're at. And, and by the way, you and I, we change all the time based on where our portfolio is at, what we're doing, et cetera. Like it's not a set in stone. If you're at that point and you go, I've got a question to ask and I want you to answer, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, just hit reply. Just hit reply. Just say, Charlie, i got a question for you and we'll bring it into one of these episodes. Thank you again. Oh, fine. We'll catch I'm going to fight you. Anyone who wants to push back on equity, I'm ready for you. I'm ready. I'm prepped. <laughs> Let's do this. You know the challenge with this though? Like I understand it. Like I genuinely understand where they're at and I, it, I, I can intellectually understand it and it's horses for courses. That's all it is. Absolutely. Horses for courses. I'll meet him in 20 years. We'll see who wins. Catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing. <laughs>